Good morning and welcome to Week on 3 with me, Janice Wong, where we look at some of the most interesting interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. I hope you're all having a fabulous time over the Christmas holidays and you're enjoying your eggnog and your mince pies. It's alright, it's a special time of year. But don't forget to exercise. A new study by the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society says people have already gained a couple of kilos during the pandemic increasing the risk of cancer. We'll hear more from a doctor later in the program. We'll also hear a bit of Jamie Collins' first ever Christmas album. But first, something a bit more serious. The state of Hong Kong's economy amid the pandemic and the burning question of whether there's any chance of a cash handout in the upcoming budget. Peter Lewis spoke to Christopher Ho, the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, on Tuesday's Money Talk program. We have to look at the general position of our fiscal balance. Yeah, at the same time, look at the immediate and also the sh- medium and long-term needs of our society and the economy. Because after all, uh, you, you are focusing on investment, focusing on works programs, focusing on non-recurring expenditure. I think that's something that we ought to do in order to make sure that we have the right active fiscal measure in place to provide, as you said, the counter-cyclical dimension to the overall economy. But if you look at the recurrent thing, I think it's something we need to be more careful. Because after all, uh, we need to have to balance our books. At the same time, we have to make sure that we have the sufficient resources in order to deal with the immediate and also medium and long-term needs of society. So that means really no, no cash handouts. People shouldn't build their hopes up for a cash handout. Um, I would say that if this is a large-scale drain on the resources and in a way which is going to be recurrent, it is something that we need to look at it very carefully. How concerned are you about our fiscal position? Our reserves are down to about 800 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's what, about 12, 13 months of government spending? And our deficit this year is going to be $300 billion, which I think is a record. Um, are, are we in a structural deficit position now where we've got to get used to this year on year and, uh, unless we find new ways of either re- uh, raising new revenues or maybe reforming our tax system? Um, I think after all, if you go a little bit of history, the uh, budget that we had this year, we estimated a um, deficit of around 140 billion Hong dollars. But now we have deficits of uh, almost 300, as you rightly point out. But that said, I think we also have to look at the situation in a more dynamic and evolving way, because we are dealing with a virus which is in some way evolving, and also the situation is changing. And that's why we always have to be on guard in terms of preparing ourselves better for event, whatever eventualities that we have to put in additional resources. And so on that front, I mean, right now, our fiscal position is still solid. But that said, we have to prepare for the future and also to make sure that we have the right resources in place in order to invest in Hong Kong and invest for our future. And, and what about helping people maybe who have lost their jobs, they're on unpaid leave or, or reduced hours? There's a lot of people, more and more of them, who are, who are going through these really difficult times. Is it possible that you can find a way of either providing wage subsidies directly to workers or help people who have actually lost their jobs in a more targeted way? I think um, this coronavirus uh, is a situation that every country is now facing. It's now becoming a global phenomenon. And also, if you look at the measures that we have put in place in totality, there are different ways they are trying to do to help the economy. On the one hand, we have employment-related measures. We have industry-related measures. We also have specific measures to create jobs. 
Because after all, uh, what we are trying to do is, to, in, in a very diversified way, try to support the economy and to make sure that our society is in the right position in order to deal with these coming challenges. And on that front, I would say that we have to look at overall in terms of what we can afford and what we should do. Like, for example, in terms of the package that we put together as the fourth round of injection, you can see that we try to be targeted. And also at the same time, we are looking at the program, which is double the size of the third round and also focusing on uh, 19 programs uh, targeting mm. various segments of the industries which are affected by the closure. So uh, in a way, I would say that it is an evolving situation and we will continue to evaluate what we need to do in light of what the challenges and also what we have in hand. So on the economy, are, are you seeing any glimmer of hope? You're, you're predicting this year that the economy is going to contract 6.1%. Are you seeing any signs at all uh, that we may start to recover sometime early next year? Um, I would say that, after all, the economy right now, as it goes, is very much dependent on how the virus situation is going to evolve. Uh, being a surface economy, a lot of our business transactions rely on human contact. So mm. to a certain extent, you can see that, like, for example, for our retail sector, our tourism sector, and these sectors, which are relatively more dependent on human interactions, are very much affected by the virus situation. And also, on the other hand, you can look at like with some financial services, which is under my portfolio. Um, we are a little bit more luckier because, after all, uh, a lot of the uh, transactions or business activities in this segment can, just in some ways, conducted uh, via a technology or online means. Like, for example, mm. even with uh, all these onslaught of uh, control measures as a result of the virus situation, you can see that uh, we can have IPO going on, we can have um, online roadshows, and a lot of transactions in the financial service sector is not so much affected by the pandemic. So I would say that it is a balancing situation, yet at the same time, we are trying to do what we can do in terms of focus on the segments which are hard hit, yet at the same time to magnify the benefits or the advantages that we have in certain segments, in particular in financial services, and also our connectivity with the mainland in such a way that our economy can grow further going forward. And going forward, how much are we going to have to link our economy into the Greater Bay Area? How, how important do you see that going forward and what steps are you going to be taking, particularly in the financial services sector, to help that along? I would say that GBA is something not just for China but for the whole world. If you try to compare our GBA here in this part of the world with that of the international Bay areas, like those in Tokyo, uh, in New York, or in San Francisco, I would say that our Bay Area basically uh, encompasses all the three key success factors in all the three international Bay areas. Hong Kong is a bit like New York, being a comprehensive international financial center. And our neighbor across the boundary is a little bit, Shenzhen is a little bit like a Silicon Valley in San Francisco. And also if you look at um, Tokyo Bay Area, it's something similar. Um, in terms of the economic structure of the nine cities in Guangdong, which possess advanced manufacturing capabilities. So on that count, I would say, uh, GBA presents to us enormous opportunities. That was Christopher Ho, the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, speaking on our Money Talk program. Turning to Christmas celebrations. Have you been eating or drinking a lot during this festive season? 
Well, Dr. Rico Liu from the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society is urging people to watch their waistline. After its new study shows that people here have gained an average of several kilos during this pandemic because they are moving less and eating more. Dr. Liu told me earlier about the study's findings on our Hong Kong Today program. We saw that on average before the pandemic, there are about two days per week exercise in our respondents. And during the severe time, say in um, between August, uh, July to August and, and around June time, there's actually more than 47% of the respondents drop their activity. But on the other hand, during the time that's less severe in October and November before the fourth wave, there are some, a third of the respondents actually increase their activity. And it looks like there are some people who are, who are sensible. But on the whole, we could see about a third of the men and women having weight gain during that period. And for men, uh, about a third of them gained about 4.2 kilograms. And for women, gained about 3.6 kilograms. And also, we look at the eating habits. Quite a lot of them increased their uh, takeout during that time. And also about 35% of them increased their online buying. And for the online buying, we discover that about 45% of them purchase meat. So we know that there are certain foods that are more likely to be related to cancer. We know that smoking is related to cancer, alcohol, but red meat, increasing daily intake of red meat for uh, over 100 grams a day increases risk. Well, what kind of cancers are we talking about here? For eating red meat, we are talking about colorectal cancer. For people who are uh, having sedentary behavior, that means sitting around, lying, not doing much exercise during the day, we are talking about cancer of corpus, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, myeloma, and also prostate cancer. So a wide range of cancer is related to part of it is lack of exercise. The second part is increase in red meat consumption and also the processed meat consumption. And what advice do you have for people celebrating Christmas this year then? Uh, that, that's the very reason why we thought it's a good time to inform the public of our findings. I, I think there are a couple of things that we could do, not very difficult. The first thing is actually be more active. There are increasing number of studies saying to us increase activity, be it moderate, and there are studies showing even moderate intensity activity of around 150 to 300 minutes a week continuously will give benefit. What it means by moderate intensity activity is the activity that would make us feel, you know, the heart beats faster, a bit of warmth, and also it produces a bit of sweating. So it's not really the type of exercise, it's rather the exercise that's able to produce that effect and maintain for about half an hour each day and 45 days a week. That would provide benefit. And I think it's really a choice of choosing what to eat, reducing red meat. And I often say to my patients, reducing red meat to around a pound a week. That's sensible. And red meat, by the way, includes beef, pork, and lamb. A lot of my patients thought that pork is not red meat, but it, it is. Um, the third thing is alcohol. Reduce alcohol, 
uh, and they are uh, and choosing non-alcoholic beverages like non-alcoholic beer uh, is they, they are some of my advice. That was Dr. Rico Liu speaking on Tuesday's Hong Kong Today program. Now, what Christmas celebration would be complete without some festive music? British singer-songwriter Jamie Collum has put out his first Christmas album this year. It's called The Piano Man at Christmas. But why does it only have 10 songs? Jamie Collum explained to Alison Howe on her Common Room program. Ten songs is, um, by kind of modern standards, quite a slim number of songs. You know, a lot of albums these days, you know, I think they even advise artists to put as many songs as possible now on your album so it works for the the way we consume music digitally. I've always done things in in the opposite, you see. So as, as, as we've been told to make more, I've made less. But actually, I, I did write more than ten. But I wanted, I wanted only the essential ones on there. So there's no, so there's no, fa- they're all like, te- they all have a reason to be there. There's no kind of companions that are not quite as good as the other companion. They're all, um, they all have a different reason for being there. They all focus on a different aspect of Christmas and the holiday season. And uh, they all have a slightly different feel, apart from the fact they're all recorded with this beautiful orchestra and this big band uh, live in London. Bring, bring down a gleaming crown. The toast, the one and all Shut the curtains and the door How much you love and not you are You can hang your lights on me You can hang your lights on me Is it hard to refrain from just doing a cover of a classic Christmas carol? Um, well, I think there are so many good albums out there already that do that. Um, you know, I have a lot of favourites in my house, whether it's Ray Charles or Nat King Cole, uh, Sinatra, obviously, uh, Donny Hathaway. There's, there's so many great ones. And there's loads of great modern ones as well. A lot, lot, of, lot of people have done it from... Um, Casey Musgraves to Bob Dylan to Michael Bublé. There's 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 a lot there's a lot out there with that cover the classics and I uh, I just wanted to do something different. I obviously it would have been smart for me to like tack on five covers at the end of the album, wouldn't it? Let's right. let's face it, that would have been the commercially uh, salient thing to do. But um, I I think it's much bolder this way. I think. Christmas music particularly is so evergreen and so embedded in our heads. Um, my goal was to write 10 songs that felt like you knew them. So you, someone might hear these songs and go, oh yeah, I love this one. Oh yeah, I know this one. And actually they haven't heard it before. So that was, as I said, as a writer, that was a really interesting challenge. That's so cool. And like you said, Christmas just means something to everybody. You know, everybody think of Christmas and obviously their hearts warm. They have a smile on their face. Usually it's a very positive feeling. And for you, how has this year been making the songwriting process about Christmas different? Well, it, w- it was quite incongruous. I-, I had the idea to make a Christmas album last year. Uh, so, you know, around Christmas time, I thought I'd 
I was singing with Robbie Williams uh, in the UK a lot for his Christmas album. Uh, we, we, we did a collaboration on, on his record and I'd done a couple of Christmas al- uh, songs in prior years and I really wanted to make a whole album of them. And I thought in 2020 I would spend 2020 whilst I was on tour trying to write one and then maybe record it for 2021. Um, but obviously my tour got postponed like everyone else's and I found myself with this time on my hands. So I accelerated the process and I think the weirdest thing was that although you're always writing Christmas songs not at Christmas time, you know, if you're preparing it for Christmas, you know, we were in lockdown. So I was at home with my wife and my kids. We'd been homeschooling, um, you know, allowed out for our half an hour of exercise a day, uh, you know, locked down with the dog and the cats and the tortoise and all the animals we have in our house. And I'd be in shorts and flip-flops writing these Christmas songs. <laughs> um, and it was really lovely, actually, because first of all, it gave me something to it really did give me something to focus on work-wise having no gigs at all and not knowing when they were going to return was quite a weird feeling having all those gigs cancelled and i really um i found that lockdown uh not traveling and not quite knowing what was in the diary whilst at first it was really stressful and i I also got covid at the beginning as well it wasn't too bad but i was definitely ill for a couple of weeks um i uh i just i had lots of clear there was lots of just clear air in my head so it was really, it was just a beautiful time where lots of these ideas were flying into my head and I played something and my wife would walk past the piano and go, oh, I love that, that's great. And, you know, the kids would start singing one of the songs. And so, yeah, it was it was actually a really lovely kind of romantic uh, uh, period of songwriting and, and quite unstressful because I didn't know where it would go. I didn't know I'd be able to record it. I didn't know when lockdown was going to end and I, I didn't know whether Christmas was going to be cancelled. So, <laughs> but the idea was to make something that it's not just about this Christmas, hopefully, it should Christmas records should last, you know, longer than the songwriter themselves. We are beautiful When we're all together Round the table that could burst That was musician Jamie Collum speaking on Wednesday's Common Room programme. Of course, this Christmas isn't like any other because of the pandemic. And two of the most pressing issues regarding COVID-19 are the speedy development of vaccines and the rising concern over a new, more infectious strain of the virus that has emerged in the UK, which has also been detected here. Those were the topics of discussion on Wednesday's Backchat program. Professor Benjamin Cowling, an epidemiologist with the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, president of the Hong Kong Medical Association, spoke to Hugh Chibberton and Anna Fenton. Hugh started by asking Professor Cowling if it was fair to describe the new strain as a British virus, and whether authorities there were negligent in not saying anything when it was spotted in September. In September, it was just one of many different fingerprint type, type of strains with different genetic fingerprints that were identified. Nothing special about it in September, but they kept an eye on it. And, and that, was more, more in se- that was made public in September, was it? Yeah, they're, they're publishing genome data all the time. Mm-hmm. But at the time it's published when it's just no reason to think there's anything special about it. It's the, the, the interesting observation is when this particular strain becomes more and more predominant, which is particularly noticed, I think, in December. Not before that. They, they suddenly notice, actually, it's really grown to be the predominant strain. The other interesting thing about this strain is when it was first picked up, 
when they look back at the sequence in, in September in Kent, I think, it already had a lot of mutations. I think it had 20 mutations from compared to the other viruses that were found at the time. And normally when you track viruses, they just mutate one step at a time, maybe two steps by the time you, you, you notice it. And so for this particular strain to have 20 changes over the other things, the other strains that were circulating in Kent at the same time, suggests actually that it came from somewhere else, that it had been making these evolutionary steps one step at a time in another country and then jumped into Kent and then it was picked up in the UK. But my, my guess would be that it's actually come from another part of the world where there hasn't been the same kind of surveillance. Do you agree with the uh, Hong Kong decision? Do you think that's a wise decision? And the EU decision to basically sever uh, contacts with uh, the UK? Uh, I, I think it, it was a very timely decision. We've seen the government be hesitant about some of the decisions they made, but this was a very rapid decision. OK, well, Professor Cowling, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, once again, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, joining us now, we have Dr Gabriel Choi, who's President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Uh, uh, there do seem to be uh, some pressure building on the Hong Kong administration for stronger measures, compulsory measures, maybe a lockdown, maybe uh, mandatory testing. Do you think it's time for those sort of stronger measures now? Depends on what the mainland government wants. If it imposes its will on the Hong Kong government, then uh, it has to be done. I think, uh, but whether this will be effective depends on whether the mandatory testing will be combined with a complete city lockdown. If, it's, if there's no city lockdown, then uh, after the testing, uh, the person may get infected in another few days and the whole process will be filled up. So it has to be a very um, careful and delicate plan before it can be uh, initiated. Dr and Choi, surely this is all looking backwards now that we've got the vaccine. Surely we should be putting pressure on people, whoever, wherever, to get us the vaccine rather than banging on about testing, which, as you say, just provides a snapshot, nothing more than that. Well, even the vaccine is, uh, uh, you need to be very cautious. These are new vaccines, and uh, they have been rushed out uh, in a year's time, and uh, which is far from traditional. And whether it will work or whether there are side effects or long-term effects has yet to be uh, discovered. So uh, if you ask me, I won't rush in to be the first one to be vaccinated. So you wouldn't be putting your hand up for a vaccine now? How long would you want to wait to be sure? Maybe another year or so uh, uh, when, when all the prices are down and everything is clearer. For me, I would rather do the uh, hand washing, the masking and the social distancing to the strictest uh, rather than uh, get myself vaccinated. Uh, just when the vaccine is uh, starting. But if everybody acted the same as you, then the virus would continue indefinitely? It should be a very personalised decision for the citizens. It should be based on the data available. It should be based on the factual results from overseas and so on. And I think the government will get clear that it should be a voluntary inoculation and not mandatory uh, vaccination but you wouldn't take it and and, and you would that's advice the advice you'd give to your patients is it as well i would ask my patient to look and consider by themselves look at the facts i would try to supply them with the figures and the results and the trial results of the and, and what would be the risks what would be the downside well with downside we are dealing with a vaccine which has uh, never been tried before this is a new creation the, the mrna vaccine is the new creation so whether it will have a long-term effect, we don't know. 
uh, whether it will cause any future damage to the central nervous system, we don't know. So we have to look at the figures very closely. Uh, after a mass vaccination, say in the in the States or in UK, when the figures prop up, then we can be more sure that it's safe. In a sense, it's a personal choice, but isn't it also uh, a social responsibility? Because you would not be just be doing this for yourself, but you'd be doing this for the sake of your your spouse, your family, your friends, your community, for Hong Kong as a whole. You have a. You also could argue you have a social. Uh, uh, well, I think status. that, that is you that that social responsibility is also one point you, you should consider. But whether whether the vaccine works or whether the vaccine may do more harm than good. It's also something that one should consider. That was Dr. Gabriel Choi, the president of the Hong Kong Medical Association and epidemiologist Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong, speaking on our Backchat program. And just a reminder that voting is on the way for Backchat Person of the Year. The final result will be announced in the first Backchat program of 2021 on the 4th of January at 9am. Go to the Radio 3 website to cast your vote. Finally, on the last week on 3 this year, we go to Steve James, who featured a sample of a very special Christmas gift on his program this week that you may have received if you were a Beatles fan in the 1960s. That's it from me for now. My very dear colleague Noreen Mir will return to host week on 3 next week. Hope you all have a great Christmas and a happy new year. So yes, what the Beatles used to do was send out spoken and musical messages on a flexi disc. Does anybody know what a flexi disc is? It's like thin plastic, almost paper, but with a groove with a record printed on it. And they would send them to their official fan clubs in the UK and the United States. This was at Christmas time from 63 to 1969. They were conceived as a means of appeasing the fan club members whose letters, due to their sheer volume, were not always being answered in a timely manner. So the records included the Beatles' messages of thanks to uh, loyal Beatle people, uh, along with skits, uh, Christmas carols, original compositions. They were making stuff up as they went along. For Beatles fans to receive one of these, it was amazing, back in the 60s. For us to listen to today, they were mad. Have no fear, your fairy godmother is here. Your wish is granted. And here are four Beatles. Hello, they've been at the orange squash again. Now pull yourself together, Paul, and have a bash at this abstemious steaming postcard. I've got a card here from Carol Stewart, and she says that she works in a school for mentally handicapped children. And the school is the Barking Junior Training Centre at Ripple Road, Barking, in Essex. And she said, you know, she'd like us to do a song for her. So, here's the song for you and all the kids of the school. Happy Christmas.
good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. As the slow ray round about, deep and crisp and crispy, brightly showed the boot last night on the musty cruel. Henry Hall and David Lloyd, Betty Grable too. Hello, this is John speaking with his voice. We're all very happy to be able to talk to you like this on this little bit of plastic. This record reaches you at the end of a really gear year for us, and it's all due to you. When we made our first record on Parafone towards the end of 1962, we hoped everybody would like what we'd already been our type of music for several years already. But we had no idea of all the gear things in store for us. It all happened, really, when Please Please Me became a number one hit, and after that, well, caught a blime is heather no. Our biggest thrill of the year, well, I suppose it must have been topping the bill at the London Palladium, and then, only a couple of days later, being invited to take part in the Royal Variety Show. Well, thank you, Johnny. It's been a nice to know you. Got to thank everyone for all the presents this year. Yes. And, uh, all for buying the records. Yeah, especially the chewed-up pieces of chewing gum and the playing cards made out of knickers. On behalf of John and I, George speaking, I'd like to thank you for all the Christmas cards and presents and birthday cards and presents and everything, too, as well. On behalf of George and I, I'd just like to thank you all for the Christmas present and all the rest of it. This is Ringo saying a Merry Christmas to everybody and a very Happy New Year. <laughs>